I'm just reminded I promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. Batman! Zap Bam Pow! It's time for another Batman Land. Batman! A weekly chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. There's a problem. Better let us handle this. Each week, we are joined by a guest. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's Batman! We need him. No. Where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Viceland. My name is Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and the digital editor at SBS. Let's go! This week I'm joined by my colleague, the only man I know who's embraced a scarlet letter as his fashion choice, it's Nick Bassine. I think it's important to tell people what you've done. Yeah, and I respect that. Yeah. I don't respect that. <laughs> And also, we're joined here by a man who's our first ever returning guest. It's Australian comedy's Miss Havisham, Mark Humphreys. <laughs> oh, hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. Yeah, now, I've gotten very literary with our approach here because we are talking about episodes featuring the bookworm. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. It's, it's very it's complicated, too high, Yeah, I'll run you through it. Okay. There are these things called books. They have pages. Keep going. Sometimes they have <laughs> boiling water within them and they sometimes catch uh, Cape Crusaders within their mitts. Oh, you mean books. 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 That's the secret of my success. Yeah. Now uh, you get it. Yeah. Yeah, right on. Now, we are discussing some episodes of the Batman TV show. These are two episodes which I was surprised at just how good they really were. <laughs> like, when I saw that it was going to be Roddy McDowell, and he's not one of the classic villains, mm. like, unless it's a villain that you know off the top of your head as a Batman villain, the episodes are sometimes pretty hit or miss. Mm. But this one is all hit. Uh, these are two <laughs> episodes. Uh, you've got The Bookworm Turns, and then you've got While Gotham City Burns. Uh, these aired respectively on April 20th and 21st of 1966. Uh, guys, did we know this episode before we went into it? I wasn't familiar with it, no. I mean, only as a Roddy McDowell fan was I aware that he had done an episode <laughs> as The Bookworm, but I'd never seen it. What does it mean to be a Roddy McDowell fan? It's a lonely existence, I'll give you that, especially in this country. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, Is it because of Planet of the Apes? It is because of Planet of the Apes and his commitment to that series above and beyond The Call of Duty. He okay. did four films in the original Planet of the Apes series. He also did the television series in 1974. Sorry, was he not in all five original Planet no, of the Apes films? No, so he couldn't do Beneath the Planet of the Apes. So the second one, he was <laughs> shooting a film in Scotland, I think. And, uh, so he so played he, Cornelius in that film. I was I think some guy named David, I think it might have been. But anyway, but because of the makers, the ape makeup, yeah, yeah. and he kind of affected a, a slightly McDowell-esque <laughs> accent, um, no one really seemed to notice. That was seamless. It's yeah. also my least favourite Planet of the Apes movie. Rightly so. Yeah. Rightly so, yeah. And I was just looking at an article this morning about uh, how that film nearly killed the entire series. <laughs> Sorry, were you looking that up purely because you knew you'd be talking about Roddy McDowell today? It was just general interest. Well, it started with McDowell and then it just went down, you know, kind of the <laughs> wormhole. So, uh, uh, yeah, no, very fond of the Planet of the Apes series. And uh, uh, if you ever decide to do a Planet of the Apes podcast, uh, I'm also available. <laughs> Man, how do we get that happening? Because yeah. I would be more than keen on that. He's, uh, he's done a lot of voice work on mm. lots of different animated shows in superhero shows, he, he was in Batman the Animated Series as the Mad Hatter. He was in The Tick as the Breadmaster. He was in Pinky in the Brain. Yeah. One of his last roles was in A Bug's Life. So he Yes, that's right. even made it into the sort of modern era of animation. Yeah, the last few years of his career was very voice-orientated. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he had lung cancer and yeah. <laughs> that was about as much as he could do perhaps. But um, so he's, I've just always been very fond of him. And uh, Have you read any autobiographies? Uh, years ago, this is going to sound pathetic because it kind of is, 
I thought that I would write Rodney McDowell's biography because <laughs> what happens is that I yeah. used to I, I used to devour film biographies. I just absolutely loved reading about film stars and TV stars. And what I found is that Roddy McDowell came up in every single one of them. I thought it was absolutely <laughs> fascinating. And it, it seems that he was this sort of confidant to just loads of, uh, especially Elizabeth Taylor, they worked together when they were children. But, yeah, he was just a friend to the stars. And, and what I used to do, yes, this sounds pathetic, but this is who I am, I would go into a bookstore and I'd look at Sorry, biographies. Sorry, Batman Land is a judgment-free Thank zone. Thank you. This is what I'm looking for. Yeah. Find film biographies on the shelf. I'd pick them up and I'd flick to the index and just look for McDowell's name. And he was just in there every time. So Roddy <laughs> McDowell was in everybody's. So you could have collected all of those stories exactly. into I, one tome. That's it. So I sort of thought, well, that would be a starting point and then I would try and reach out to people. But apparently he was a great keeper of secrets. I think that's part of why he was oh. such a friend to so many people. So there wouldn't necessarily be that much to sort of expose or anything. But uh, but he was also a fine photographer. He did a lot of, he took a lot of home movies. There's a lot of home movies from the original. I hear you. Planet of the Apes. I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> okay. Sorry, it's, it's not like autofocus. It's not that okay. sort of home movie. I don't, I don't want to, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm picturing... Hollywood party stories where mm. every every story just and then and Roddy was hoovering up cocaine in the bathroom, of course. I think there was a joke about his home movies in like Family Guy or something, and I think that they sort of seemed to suggest that it was slightly salacious, but I, I can't quite recall the details. Now, usually we should just point out we talk about Batman on this podcast. What? I know. <laughs> what? Sorry. What an this idea. This is not the Roddy McDowell podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, but this is the thing. So Mark's our first ever returning guest. Now, something we do on the podcast, because the entire reason this podcast exists is Batman is a creature of cross-cultural understandings. We see him in movies and TV shows, cartoons, merchandise, all of that. Everyone comes to Batman with a different perspective. So he asks the question, who's your Batman? Because people may say the animated show, some people are comic book people, others, mostly this because of the age of the people who do this podcast, usually come back with Michael Keaton as being their Batman. Now, we've already talked about who your Batman was mm -hmm. when you were on the episode featuring the great villain, Zelda the Great. Well, yeah. the villain Zelda <laughs> the Great, yes. <laughs> now, we did that. I don't remember who your Batman was. I'm presuming Michael, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, yeah. yeah. there we go. <laughs> Um, so I thought this time maybe we can talk about Roddy McDowell in the context of Planet of the Apes a little bit because there is crossover. Both were made by Fox back in the day, so that's why there's so much crossover. Mm. They use a lot of the same back lots and this kind of gear. Uh, but you said Roddy McDowell was your guy. Um, what is it about him and Planet of the Apes that makes him stand out and how does that maybe cross over with his role in Batman? Because I found that both performances are actually not too dissimilar. Well, I think well, if you look at his the first role, because he plays two characters across the Planet of the Apes series, mm. actually three if you include the TV series. So in, the, in, the, <laughs> in film number one and three, so Planet of the Apes and Escape from Planet of the Apes, he plays Cornelius, who is a, a scientist. And he's a generally sort of kind, good-natured ape. Uh, it is in the last two, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, where he plays Caesar, which is now the character that Andy Serkis plays in uh, the, the new films. And he is more of a revolutionary who leads the ape uprising. So they're quite different characters. And then in the TV show, he plays a character called Galen. I always actually responded, it's a weird thing to say, I always responded to his voice. Because of the ape makeup, you couldn't really see his face. He's got a very kind, gentle, good-natured yeah. voice. He's incredibly 
obviously warm. He's a very warm, warm man. And I think it's quite interesting seeing him play Bookworm because this is someone who is not warm. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I just thought it was that was an interesting actual difference. I didn't see the connection so much to uh, the Apes series. What were you sort of... Well, what sort of threw me with the performance is, because as you said, he plays two Apes. So... The first one when he's playing Cornelius, he's very sort of hunched over and he takes on very, um, you know, ape-humanist sort of uh, behaviours in the way that he holds himself. Mm. But when he's actually taking on the role of Caesar in the last two films, because it's a character of whom is supposed to be leading this ape uprising, mm. he stands very strong and mm-hmm. very proud, as I recall. Mm. And so when I was watching... Also this- raised by a human, played by Ricardo Montalban, so... Indeed. <laughs> he's picked up human traits, perhaps more than ape. Was that just an excuse to mention Ricardo I Montalban? I do love... That's the other one, if you've got... <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo Montalban podcast. He, he feels like he should have been a Batman villain or a Batman character. I wonder if he turns up at some point. I don't know. I hope so. I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Like, this is the peak era for Montalban to make an appearance. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as the bookworm, he also, because he's a very uh, put together person, like he's also very upright and mm-hmm. uh, just has amazing posture. Mm. <laughs> and so it just sort of it reminded me of just the way he was holding himself and the right. physical presentation of the mm-hmm. ape. Mm. Yeah. Do you yeah. have some kind of strong affinity for 60s, 70s era stuff in general? Well, I think it's just because of the way that Australia was when I was growing up, just the way that we, for some reason, well, for reasons, I mean, not for some reason, but, you know, we, we grew up with so much American TV uh, like you know, Batman was airing when I was a kid, and Brady Bunch, and I Dream Genie, yeah, Bewitched, and yeah. So just, I just absorbed all of that. So I have right. a fondness for it, just because of you know, it's childhood association. I see. Yeah, yeah, I find myself connected to it the exact same, well, for the same reasons. Mm. And I always think about the '60s and '70s as being like a long time prior to my birth. But yeah, sort right. Of the older I get, the more I realise it actually wasn't that far like prior. It's no, yeah. Uh, yeah. What Australian TV from the '60s and Seventies, do people watch? Exactly. This is something that I talk about all the time uh, privately, uh, which is just that Australian <laughs> TV has no legacy. That there is no sort of other than Skippy, really, nothing is being repeated. Is that the Dolphin Show? No, that's the, the Kangaroo, kangaroo Show. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's the Dolphin Show? I believe you're thinking of Flipper. 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 Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Flipper. Interesting. This to the American in our group here. Uh, it's actually an American TV show, with the exception of Flipper: The Next Generation, which was shot on Australia's Gold Coast. How about that? <laughs> See, when you say uh, Dolphin Show, I think Sequest DSV. That's what I'm thinking. Um, well, I think, with the animatronic Darwin. Yeah, I think that... Yeah. God, you're good. Uh, yeah, so that, yeah, all that stuff was, was played for us. <laughs> Nick's and- looking at me baffled. <laughs> I know my televised dolphins. <laughs> There's a dolphin that? on TV. Have I'm I seen closer. Sequest? Roy Scheider? Yes. Yeah. Uh, later replaced with uh, Michael Ironside. <laughs> I love Michael Ironside. It featured Dom DeLuise's kids. <laughs> Dr. Louise's kids. The, yeah. the DeLuise kids. Uh, I believe there was Michael DeLuise and the other one. So hang on. Why were, what, 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 both of them were in Sequest? I believe so. I what, think, I were think they were playing Dom DeLuise's kids. Were they purchased as a double? Like, was it like as a package deal? Like, we okay. get, you can get well, one DeLuise kid for this much, but if you want two. <laughs> Here's my concern. I am concerned that I've gone into the deep end of the pool here <laughs> and I'm a little bit out beyond where I want to be with the DeLuise kids. <laughs> 
<laughs> We're so far beyond Batman at this point. It's uh, That's an excellent point. We should segue back to Batman here. <laughs> Can I even say one more thing about Roddy McDowell? Yeah, sure. And his relationship to 20th Century Fox, which you just mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Please. Yeah, so, Roddy McDowell was in Cleopatra, again with his good friend Elizabeth Taylor. Right. Mark, so, did he help her through all those divorces? I, I suspect he probably did. I okay. think he was probably a shoulder to cry on. And, uh, but anyway, in Cleopatra, he played uh, Augustus, I think, or young, was it Octavian? Um, and uh, I've, I've now forgotten the detail of the character. But the key thing to remember is that his performance was very highly regarded. And so there was a lot of buzz that he would get a, an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor in Cleopatra. But what happened is that Fox, 20th Century Fox, accidentally submitted him for Best Actor instead of best supporting. And so needless to say, he did not get nominated. And uh, I think Fox took out, I actually made a note of it here, they took out a full-page ad in the trade papers, so I'm guessing Variety and what have you, basically apologising to Roddy McDowell for screwing up the entry. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So no Oscar for Roddy, but he got a, a full-page letter in the, in the paper. <laughs> Do we know if he's been nominated for anything else? I don't think he ever was, No. Right. So that was oh, this one that's one chance. Yeah. Yeah. But he so lives sad. on in the Batman Land podcast. <laughs> yeah. If you ever listen to the Donegal Hour podcast. Does he live in Buddy McDowell's house? Well, this is what I was heading to. So he's a huge Planet of the Apes fan mm-hmm. and he had the opportunity to buy Roddy McDowell's house. Much like when George Costanza and Seinfeld was given the opportunity to buy the car of John Voigt, who I think turns out to be a dentist, John Voigt, rather than <laughs> the actual John Voigt. Um, he had the opportunity to buy Roddy McDowell's house mm-hmm. and bought the premises. He took it up. Yeah. I can tell you right now that if anyone buys it off Dana, it's probably <laughs> going to be me. <laughs> I, I believe his ex-wife has it these days. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'll be in touch. Indeed. Anyway, shall we move on to the little show we call Batman? Yeah, let's. Yeah. I, I the- don't know. I kinda, <laughs> I'm kind of in my happy space at the moment. <laughs> Okay, so we are talking about two episodes, The Bookworm Turns and While Gotham City Burns. This is from April 20th, 1966 and April 21st, 1966. This starts with a really visually striking opening. Mm. I was really taken with this. We're on a bridge. The Amerigo Columbus Bridge. There's a rededication taking place. But for some reason, this dedication was big news in Gotham City because they're broadcasting it live on TV. And we get to see an assassination attempt on one Commissioner Gordon. But Nick, what else happens in this episode? So, on this televised dedication, a sniper guns down Commissioner Gordon. Tell me I'm having a nightmare. In cold blood, and his lifeless carcass (laughs) falls into the river below. It's awful. He's dead. Pull yourself together, Chief O'Hare. Cut down in the prime of his life. Let's drive into the city and pay our respects to a late great man. But it was a ruse. Saints alive. It was just pinched by a phony policeman. Holy reincarnation. Because sometimes you have that kind of reaction. Getting shot by a sniper, getting pinched, (laughs) same thing. Sorry, we should say he was not at the bridge at all. You weren't at the ceremony at the new bridge, Commissioner? I was not. Oh, was he somewhere else? He was somewhere else. So he was at... God damn it, these... Uh, Shows are so confusing. A police officer gave him a parking ticket. Me, arrested for overtime parking. So the bookworm, he was at that dedication. They suspect him of um, wrongdoing, of being involved somehow. And then he, bookworm, blows up a book in the Batmobile. Holy explosion! Batman and Robin foil a plot to do something else. 
They confront the bookworm's gang in an area with lots of cardboard boxes. There's a fight amongst the boxes. The gang escapes and leaves their lady gang member tied up. Holy Cinderella! Batman gasses her. I'm going to put you to sleep for a little while. Extracts the bookworm's plan, which is to steal the original Declaration of Independence, except that's not what happens at all. <laughs> They kidnap dumb Robin who falls for the gas and the book trick again. Huh? And they plan to murder him by smashing his head against the inside of a bell. Batman saves him with the help of Chief O'Hara, who does some actual police work for a change. Bookworm gasses Alfred and Aunt Harriet at Wayne Manor and steals a cookbook for no reason. Then Batman and Robin get trapped in a giant cookbook because they're just not that good at this. We are trapped inside a cookbook at Finland Cedar. They break out. The bookworm uses the Batmobile to break into the library and Batman and Robin stop them. There was a lot going on. I'm green lighting this episode. Yeah. (laughs) How do we make this a reality? (laughs) Listen, it already is. You can watch it on SBS Viceland, SBS On Demand. How good's that? Fantastic. That's value right there. I want to say the murder at the top. Oh. Is, is it's pretty devastating. Yeah, has there been anything like that on Batman thus far? Oh, there's been a couple of things. So there's oh, that one woman episode. that falls down the um down into the incinerator. Yeah, played by Chiu Saint John in the first episode. Yeah, that, that was pretty. Oh, yeah, awful. True. There's also another episode. I want to say it was the false face episode, but I'm not too sure. Uh, but Batman and Robin are gunned down by Gotham City police in a alleyway. It's a, <laughs> it's really really dark and like really bleak, but great TV. Uh, but it starts open with this really interesting shot where you see the bridge and it's clearly like a sort of matte background or something. But there's something which Batman, because it's based on comic books and they try to get the sort of Andy Warhol style pop cultural, you know, um, visual aesthetic happening, where it just kind of looks like it's part of the overall aesthetic of Gotham City. And I feel the show loses something when it actually switches to real-life footage of New York where yes. they'll occasionally do that show Gotham. Right. Okay, because it mm. kind of doesn't really quite feel like the fake world of Batman mm. to yeah, a certain degree. But, yeah, that start it was, I mean, yeah, I almost choked on my waffle. It was, uh, <laughs> that was, that was stunning. But it was also very kind of throwaway. It was sort of... Uh, it was utterly pointless. Yeah. <laughs> but then when Dick and Bruce are reacting to it, the holy homicide, tell me I'm having a nightmare. Like, that's horrifying. Yeah. And then Bruce says, this is one time we won't wait for the uh, bat phone like because the, the dead man can't call us. That's all he could think about? It's a kid's show. Man, man, but that phone's not going to ring. <laughs> Better not wait for the phone to ring. Now, because we are talking about the visual aesthetic of the show, uh, this is directed, it was the first time for a guy named Larry Pierce to be working on the Batman show. He had an extensive career in Hollywood. He's still alive. He's still with us, which oh. is great. Not a young man by any means, but he's certainly still around. Uh, he directed a whole bunch of episodes of Touched by an Angel later in life. He did a few hey, movies as smirch well. Besmirch this good characters. <laughs> <laughs> they were great looking episodes of Touched right, by an okay. Angel. Uh, he did the John Belushi biopic film called Wired. Uh, he also oh, yeah. directed a TV show, which I've never actually seen the episodes of the live action, but in Australia, we definitely got the animated show. It was a thing called The Ghostbusters, which is a show that existed in the late 70s. And it was a cartoonish sort of a thing with people running around catching ghosts. What? And so when the movie came around in 84, there was a bit a of lawsuit? a legal stouch. Uh, but then I'm commissioning an animated series based on the late 70s Ghostbusters cartoon, which used to air here on the ABC in the afternoon. And I remember as a kid being very upset because I'd tune into Ghostbusters and it wasn't Egon and Ray and... 
all the games. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, side point. Uh, <laughs> the episodes were also written by a guy named Henrik Volartz, credited as Rick Volartz. And this was his only Batman outing, but he also wrote a bunch of Highway Patrol episodes and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. He did like a whole lot of things, but it was usually just a few episodes here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very much a uh, right of a hire. Every page, every chapter is an integral part of one stolen plot. One of the things I thought was really notable about McDowell's performance in this is there's this great moment where he flips out talking to the woman in the show, uh, the Francine York character. And she suggests that maybe he should go and write a bestseller. <laughs> okay, and at that point, like, he just freaks out and he gets really sensitive to the idea that people have suggested he doesn't have original ideas of his own. He's so unhinged that he's almost moved to bludgeon her with a large book. Yeah. Beat her to death. And it's the only time he shows emotion as this character throughout the two-parter. Mm-hmm. And he's a speed reader, we, we learned. Very <laughs> yeah, yeah, what was with that? <laughs> it's a technique which uh, I, I wasn't able to replicate when I tried it uh, at home. Um, but also he's reading a book that was uh, seemed to have been written in, in columns. But uh, Yeah, was it a phone directory? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be about the art of self-control, wasn't it? But uh, yeah, no, it was great. It was, and it was, and I really admired his self-control and how how he took that on board and the character transformation, the journey he went on. I, I was thinking as well just how I started to feel for the villains and just thinking that a lot of their problems could be solved by just hiring smarter henchmen. A lot of the time <laughs> just seems spent berating people mm. for being like. There's one bit where he asks one of his henchmen. He says, "Quelle heure est What 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 time is it?" He asks him in French, and the henchman doesn't understand. It's like, <laughs> why? Are you, like, well, maybe you know, maybe maybe we, maybe it's not too much to ask that our henchmen speak French. I don't know, but I just sort of feel like you just you're just wasting mental energy on these people. Now, I don't know which henchman he was speaking to, but one of the henchmen was played by Tony Aiello, who was in season eight of The Amazing Race, which was the first and last season of that show that did a family edition. Any relation to Danny Aiello? Uh, well, that's what I was wondering, which is why I looked him up, and no. Okay. Yeah. Disappointing. But anyway, yeah, because I meant like the penguin always is like getting annoyed at his 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 guys and just like, just well, you think have a better hiring policy. They would have looked at a CV or two. Yeah. Like, what are these people's qualifications? Yeah. And I always believe, don't you hear those things about you should always surround yourself with people smarter than you, that that's the best mm, way to go? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I thought I should take the same approach with a Batman Land podcast, but I didn't. (laughs) Now, let's just maybe touch upon a few of the things along the way here through the episode. We do open with that gorgeous thing with Commissioner Gordon being shot like this. It's a magnificent looking opening scene. A question I have, the camera shot that we see of the body plunging into the river, Mm -hmm. it's from the distance. How much effort and resources were they putting into filming this live televised dedication of the bridge to have this long shot happening from the other side of Gotham River? Is that a helicopter shot? I don't think it was. It seemed like it was maybe on like the foreshore. Well, it's a de- bridge dedication. Seems like a no-brainer. You'd get something set up on from a different angle. Yeah, and then you find Chief O'Hara when he's like aware of what's going on and he's just waiting for Batman and Robin to turn up. At no stage is he like creating a manhunt. Like yeah. he's not getting the Gotham City police out there to try to solve he the needs murder to of step Chief, up and Gordon. Just like, yeah. yeah. Like, is he not, like, does he become like second in command? Is he, well, you know? You'd it- presume they spend a lot of time in that office together. <laughs> you must assume he's like it's who I see. Yeah. I mean, more than just his gross incompetence, Chief O'Hara proved to be just a legitimate psychopath screaming at the TV <laughs> like the TV could hear him. Oh, absolutely. Was it was it him later on that when Batman was uh, was it was he was it when Batman says um, don't interrupt. I'm trying to fathom the subconscious of a deadly, deadly criminal. criminal. 
That was incredible. Is he, yeah, he's turning back into his memory. What was it that he said? Yeah, something so like that. So weird. But no. yeah, like credit to uh, Henrik Volartz, who wrote this episode. It seems like every single line and opportunity for Adam West to be at his most Adam West. Yes. And for all the other actors to really lift their game. And like, it was all there. Like, it's all in the script to allow for these great opportunities. Mm. That moment where he's like thinking back into the mind of the criminal. Let me. Turn my memory back. That's one of the great Adam West moments in the show. Like, that was fantastic. I love when he's trying to contact Robin and he's screaming <laughs> down the, the, the bat speaker or whatever. He's going, Robin! Robin! <laughs> over. <laughs> Just, it's like good to clarify that the message is over. <laughs> <laughs> There's just this other great line. When Commissioner Gordon came into the office and he's revealing that he was you know, delayed by police and he wasn't really dead, he's like, looks at Batman, he's like, what are you doing here? And there's this great Adam West moment where he just looks at him with the ultimate seriousness and it's like... To investigate your murder, my friend. And it's just this great Adam West moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a bit which I don't know if you made this connection, but so there's had this running idea of not wanting to hit a guy with glasses. Oh, yes. yeah. And uh, so I think, I think Batman... Because it's the bookworm, so all the henchmen have glasses. They've all got glasses, even though yeah. Yeah, they clearly don't speak for me. <laughs> uh, and so Batman, I think, says to Robin, says, remember, never hit a man with glasses. Um, so they stop the fight while all the henchmen take off their glasses. Yes, yeah, and what right. this reminded me of is the 1989 Batman because the the Joker when they're uh, yeah, yeah right. they're having their fight yeah. and the Joker Jack, Jack Nicholson pulls out a pair of glasses and says you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses would you and then Batman and he hits punches him. him. He That's absolutely great. does. Yeah, I wonder yeah. whether it was a little. Oh, it has to be. Not. So many episodes have, and it, I'm sure it's not. In, I can't imagine it's intentional, but there's so many of those little things that can be connected to the current. Uh, oh really? Current, I, more recent movies. Can you think of any others? Like the Joker um, in a previous episode is wearing a Pagliacci mask. Which oh, is the mask right. that Heath Ledger carries into the bank? Yeah, right. In the um, in the, the first shot okay. of the Dark Knight. Yeah, cool. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Oh, and nice. then two episodes ago, we had the Joker with his fake teeth. Yeah, and yeah. Jack Nicholson. Oh. Is it after he dies? Oh no, no, he does the. I think. It, yeah, he, yeah, he says, spits it out on the table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for Vicky Vale, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, of course. Began the um, celebrity popping out of the um, window. Uh, what a celebrity. Yeah, it's the best gag. celebrity that had pop out of a window. Jerry Lewis. So this is the thing where you see Batman and Robin walk up the outside of the building right. and then a celebrity opens the door. They have a conversation, interrupting their crime fighting and then, you know, goes away. Hmm. But yeah, you got Jerry Lewis. Holy human flies. I wish they put more effort into the actual line that they... Yeah. <laughs> Give, like, Jerry, get, I can't remember what Jerry Lewis didn't say. Can, can I get a better line? Yeah, that's it. It just feels like a bit of a wasted opportunity. Just, uh, it can't be easier to book Jerry Lewis to do something like that. I'd imagine not. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that the woman who's like the, you know, the dame in the Bookworms uh, crew, mm-hmm. uh, it's played by this actress named Francine York. Now, she appeared in five different Jerry Lewis movies. Yeah, like, she was the regular, like, romantic interest or, you know, female oh, lead in his films. So there's clearly some sort of relationship there where either Jerry Lewis was made available because Francine York was doing the guest role or yeah, she right. got that role maybe because right. of Jerry Lewis. Like, it can't be a coincidence that both of them are in this one episode. Mm. Also customary with all these episodes is there's some very uncomfortable, creepy um, men-women relationship stuff. <laughs> Batman, when he encounters the tied-up Francine York in the van, he describes it as some kind of fairy tale. <laughs> and it, it gets kind of weird and hazy and romantic for a second. Like, this is, like, this, he's into this. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so unsettling. 
Speaking of bad relationships, I'm often looking at the way that Aunt Harriet is treated in the show. Mm. At the very beginning, you've got her watching the news in another room because she's not permitted to watch the TV with um, <laughs> Bruce and Dick for some reason. But she comes running into the room and she's saying that she saw the Commissioner Gordon shooting. That's happened. And then as the excuse to leave stately Wayne Manor, Bruce stands up and says, oh, you know, Dick, let's go and pay our respects. Aunt Harriet is clearly emotionally taken here. Why is she not invited to go and pay respects? These are all good questions. I have some more questions about Harriet and, 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 Al- and Alfred. Is that I think a lot of their problems, Batman and Robin, would, would be solved if they just if they worked out a way to just get Harriet in the loop on the on, on these things. And actually, Alfred is, seems to be across things most of the time. But somehow in this episode, we had no awareness of the bookworm situation. Late bookworm walk into Batman's house dressed <laughs> as bookworm and didn't didn't but didn't bat an eyelid. And then before you know it, both he and Harriet are passed out on the couch. And some great stunt work by Alan Napier, I might say, who proved to himself to be quite yeah nimble. nimble. Yeah, <laughs> that was something else. Yeah. Can we talk about Commissioner Gordon for a moment? Please. Now, Commissioner Gordon, like as played by Neil Hamilton, I always feel that he's kind of relegated to even being sort of O'Hara's offsider at times. O'Hara with Stafford Blake. He's got this big over-the-top, ridiculously racist Irish accent that he sort of uh, rolls out every episode. (laughs) But then you've always got Neil Hamilton of whom kind of just has to deal with that and try to find some sort of way to be in a spotlight himself and actually have a bit of a moment. Here we're actually given a great scene with him running through and it's a scene where, and excuse the language, but Commissioner Gordon comes off as a bit of an asshole where he's explaining about how he's just being delayed by this police officer because he parked like over the time limit outside of whatever event that he was at and then a police officer tried giving him of all people like a ticket like why is he exempt and why is he allowed to park wherever he wants willy-nilly it's not like he was doing police business he was at a function how is it excusable that he's just parking wherever he wants in gotham city Mm. not cool i feel like i don't know how big gotham is it's a a major metropolitan city okay i just feel like maybe he should be across Who's on the force? I don't know. I feel like there, like there should have been a red flag. If I were the commissioner, I'd want to pass on some parking tickets. <laughs> yeah. I think there's bigger fish to fry. Why does he pronounce um, charade the way he does? <laughs> That's a bigger question, isn't it? That's a huge question. Can we talk about Bookworm's outfit and how squeaky it is? I feel like that should have been immediate like, oh, we can't possibly use this. You can hear it the whole time, the leather... <laughs> rubbing against itself. It's quite loud. I'm surprised that they went with it. It's the leather from um, book bindings, from right. cl- classic book bind- yes, first edition book bindings. Sure, sure, sure. So, I mean, look, don't get me wrong, there's a great backstory to it, but just, <laughs> just from an audio perspective, I thought it was problematic. So I can't watch this show without thinking of the ambiguously gay duo. Mm-hmm. From Saturday Night Live. Right. Which is primarily based on this show, I believe. Absolutely, yeah. Right? It's filled with double entendre. There's clearly something going on. You don't even have to read that deeply into it. And so every episode, stuff really stands out to me. And um, lines like when Batman says, get set for the big one. (laughs) (laughs) That that kind of stuff is, it's really, it's very prominent. (laughs) Is it just me or is it everybody else picking this stuff up? I I must, I'll I'll admit that I did did not notice it. I'm watching it rather naively. So, no, I'm not reading that. All right, well. (laughs) No, I didn't read that at all, you pervert. Gosh, what a tricky play on words. Can we also just give a shout out to the moment where at one point they suggest even actually getting the Riddler to (laughs) come and help? Uh, Yeah, so Batman and Robin are trapped (laughs) in a giant book at the end hmm. of the episode. 
And yeah, they're trying to work out how to get him out. And Gordon suggests that they get the Riddler out of prison because yeah. so, he's a safe broker. Yeah. Yeah. He's, not, he's gonna help Batman. Why? No. <laughs> Two things with that book. One, I love that it's called the delight of cooking, <laughs> which I'm sure that's a joy of sex reference. Isn't the joy of cooking also a book? Is the joy of cooking a thing? Is that a play? Or I think maybe it's well, a, obviously. Like, I think I think they're both books. <laughs> it might be the same. Maybe. Um, also, when Batman and Robin get trapped in the book, he ends up uh, getting on the speaker and he's like, "Red alert! <laughs> we're trapped in a cookbook on Fifth and Cedar." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's some good laughs in this uh, in these episodes. Yeah, like absolutely amazing. Like this is, I think, probably my favorite episode of Batman oh, wow. so far. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Not bad. I'm gonna yeah. just say, just generally, just props to the props department on Batman because there've been yeah. some like it was a few weeks ago, but like there was like a massive umbrella I think that they had in, in an episode, and just things like you know, just logistically and you know money wise, like yeah. you don't see. Giant props like that anymore. God yeah. no. They clearly got the military involved for that bazooka. Right. Yeah. Sure. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, the uh, bomb detector on the Batmobile took a little took a little long. I thought. <laughs> I thought that could have been really dangerous. <laughs> Let me just leave this with a question. There's the bomb in the Batmobile, and Robin says, "You know, let's use the seat ejector." How does he know that the bomb was sitting on the seat? <laughs> How does he know? Okay, guys, this probably wraps up another Batman land for the week. Um, am I wrong in just thinking this is the best episode so far? Well, if by best you mean only episode with Roddy McDowell, then yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I just think it did everything right. This felt like the most pure episode of it that met the objectives of the show. Like it meets the brief completely. Had a great start, really dramatic start. It yep. was highbrow, had a lot of literary references. Batman, some of the lines, like you know, some of the best, funniest, you know, Batman, Adam West delivered lines. Set pieces. Yeah. Like, it's just a great episode through and through. Great cast. Um, got Jerry Lewis stepping out of a window. Yeah, that was big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great episode all around. My favorite line is probably when Chief O'Hara is yelling at the TV and, <laughs> and Batman says, get a hold of yourself, Chief. <laughs> Adam West, this maybe isn't a revelation, but he's very much Leslie Nielsen. With just a shift in tone in everything else, this show could be the naked Police gun. squad. Yeah. 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 Guys, what did we learn this week? Nick Pesane. I definitely learned to... In your advanced years, keep yourself in good shape so that you can uh, leap over uh, guard railings like Alfred does. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, I learned that when women resort to crime, it's different from when men resort to crime. It's very sad. Whenever a woman turns to crime, you have to play some sad music because it's a woman gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, what was the line about uh, that, uh, that Gordon says to her at the end? His female accomplice, too, a Miss Limpert. Mm -hmm. Very sad case, that one. All of the lady members in all of these gangs, at the end, there's always a moment where she, A, hits on Batman, mm -hmm. even though she's headed to prison. <laughs> B, there's sad music because why would such a beautiful, lovely woman turn mm. to crime? Mm. And I learned, uh, just don't leave any kind of valuable books so sort of prominently placed <laughs> in a glass case so that people, it's the first thing you see and you just think, well, look, I better just steal that. It's in a glass case. So yeah. just don't do that. For me, this episode solved one of the big questions I've had in life, which is 
The Batmobile drives around Gotham City all the time. They need to slow down. The parachute comes out the back. What <laughs> happens to all those parachutes? This episode gives us the answer. There's a dedicated Batmobile parachute pickup service. <laughs> it's a van that's always on standby just to come and pick up yeah, a parachute just in case. Fantastic. Guys, this is the end of the episode. Uh, Mark Humphreys, people can regularly find you on their Facebook feeds mm. um, as part of the Feed TV show. Sometimes they may actually see you on the feed, the actual TV show, but where do they find you elsewhere? Uh, you on find, Twitter? Yes, on Twitter at Mark Humphreys and on Facebook at Mark Humphreys Comedy. <laughs> How much comedy are you getting through that one? Uh, it's uh, it's a little, it's a little bit, not a lot, of, yeah. not a lot. Yeah. Mark, when do we get Mark Humphrey's drama? Yeah, this is. I'm hoping to branch out. Uh, so small steps. Now, we have talked about your love of 60s and 70s TV. Mm. You also have a love of theatre. Mm-hmm. How about we give that Twitter feed oh, a bit Oh, yes, plug? indeed. If you've been to musicals, <laughs> uh, then follow at Mark's Musicals on Twitter. Uh, yes. What happens on that feed? Just a lot of great clips from Broadway and uh, <laughs> London, the West End. Uh, my God. Yeah, my own. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Uh, this week I saw Assassins at the Hayes Theatre. I met the great David Campbell. Uh, so exciting things happening at Mark's Musicals. You can find me at um, Get Set for the Big One <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter.com. <laughs> I'm at, at Nick Bassine. So I was concerned that might have been like a Bumble or a Grinder profile. Mm. Well, it can be <laughs> it's a lot of things to a lot of people. <laughs> it will be before this day is out. Uh, people can find me at the Dan Barrett. If you're using the Twitters, though, leave the hashtag BatmanLand. Join the conversation because, uh, you know, it's out there. Mostly me. Yeah. Yeah. But join the conversation there. If you're enjoying this podcast, tell your friends and your friends' friends and randoms on the street. Uh, get them to subscribe like you will as soon as you finish listening to this podcast right now. And, you know, share it out there on the Facebooks. People love to see this sort of thing. Leave reviews, all that kind of gear. Thank you very much. You can tune in, obviously, to Batman, airing every Friday on SBS Viceland, just in the evening, and you can find it repeated, I think, Sunday afternoons. It's, of course, on SBS On Demand. Thank you very much to my panel, Nick Bassine, Mark Humphreys. I'm Dan Barrett. We'll see you next week. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. <laughs>